0: Morning. We have a smaller assembly here today. Praise the Lord. Anyways, uh, I always think if there'd be one person here in the congregation listening and he would be blessed, then it would be a blessing. I'm mostly here for myself, by the way, because I have not attained, but I am only speaking of the things the Lord has pressed on my heart to speak. Uh, Randy, thank you so much for the opening. I was challenged with that one example in that write-up where he took him to this room and it was stocked full, the storehouse of blessing that were never received upon the recipients on earth because they did not claim them or they weren't able to take them. In in First Peter, it's somewhere it says, For God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has given us all things. It's, it's like this an analogy I always think of where this little this mechanic worked his life long and he, and he has, you know, these little red toolboxes that uh, there's, maybe fits in a crescent wrench and a few screwdrivers. And he spends his lifelong time fixing cars using just this little toolbox when God has given us a whole big toolbox, the one that Frank has, something that big. We're full of tools and different intricate instruments that we can use for the kingdom, but we only claim the little one. Yes, you could argue that it does the job, but we, we are so inefficient at times because we don't, we don't take advantage of what Christ has for us. And this is partly what I want to speak about today. The Lord has pressed on my heart what it means to be so loud for Christ. And that's the title of my message, Sold Out for Christ. Um, I don't know, since, since uh, Brother Richard shared uh, the message last week about Pentecost, he mentioned um, that Christ meets us and fills us with the Holy Ghost when we are the place, when we are completely sold out to him. And I have to shout amen to that. Christ fills us when we are done. He doesn't like to fill a half empty, a, a, a empty uh, or a cup that's half full of ourselves. You mix it up with godliness, and the outcome is lukewarmness. It, it doesn't; it will not do much in the kingdom. God wants an empty cup so he can fill up with hot water, and that hot water represents the Holy Spirit, His likeness. His, uh, he will impart us with His godliness. And then we will be powerful. We will be, we will, we will be spilling over with His goodness. Uh, we'll open up here in Romans chapter twelve, verse one. Romans chapter twelve, verse one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. That means I beg you, brethren. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. What does it mean to be sold out? We hear this term used a lot. It's not found in, in the King James Bible being sold out. I, I think of it a lot in the terms of this, of this verse in Romans 12. 1, Presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. To not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I ask myself this question, am I totally sold out? I don't think any one of us is is sold out to Christ as we ought to be. None of us are. We are in a journey where the Lord is teaching us, this is not sold out. This is not. This is not sacrifice. This is not sacrifice. This is not sacrifice. And by the grace of God, we sacrifice that while it is still living, that's what it means with a living sacrifice. We give it to Him. We have not lost interest in it. It is still vibrant in our lives, so we, but we still give it to God. Um, sold out uh, in its literal meaning means no more stuff to sell. In this case, we're not talking about not having any more merchandise to get rid of. But we're talking about being... Totally committed to a cause is one definition. Totally committed to a cause. No more options elsewhere. And it does not mean that we couldn't go, there's a why in a road, and we could take different whys, but to us, there is only one more option left, and that is Christ. There is no more backup. And sometimes God has us at a place. And that is his grace upon our lives where we have no more. He loves us so much that he constrains us that there are no more other options. And he, yes, we could go, but we, the love of God constrains us. There are no other options. There's no other backup. Um, we have jumped off the fish, uh, off, the, off the ship. We have jumped off the ship It is sink or swim. Or, or being, another analogy is being totally on the ship. So it's, it's either on or off. Or being in the water. Not on the fence, but totally over it. Decisively picking aside, we're done. Threw all my money in the pot. And no way out. These are just some phrases that all mean totally sold out. Um, And in in Christendom's biggest problem right now is we have Christians that are on the fence. They like it in the world, and they like it. Some things about Christianity which which they like, the blessings that it brings, but they don't like some of the other things. Um, And we can all relate to that. And we're not going to go into details what all these things are today, but I think in your heart you know what they are. And as the Lord is dealing with you, you will know more and more what these things are. As Christians, the root word of Christian is Christ. The root word reminds us that we are in Christ. In Christ means we are all in, not half in. How many of the number of Christendom would cease to be if being called by that name meant certain death or a dire persecution? I dare say, Mr. Rav that three-fourths or more, so-called Christians wouldn't call themselves Christians. And I'm not talking about Christians that their family is called a Christian. I'm talking about Christians that are actually serious or think they're serious. How many of them would back out or they would recant of their belief if it meant certain that? All of us that are baptized in the Lord have acknowledged before God that we are dead to ourselves, we are dead men. Sold out to God in order that we might be resurrected in a new man in Christ. We would do well to meditate upon that on a daily basis. Wake up in the morning and say, Oh Jacob, I am dead. I am dead to myself. We think of these things maybe at our baptism, what it represents and who we say we are before people. But as time goes on, the world has a tendency to get a finger into our hearts. Sometimes it just gets bigger and bigger. And we find ourselves almost at a place where we were before we were born again. We love the same movies we did before. We love to do the same habits that we had before. And we find ourselves that we're lukewarm, that we're not so loud to God. And we find that we, we cannot overcome our besetting sins because we're not all in. We like it too much. We're lukewarm and we love it, as Francis Jane would say. Lukewarm and loving it. The truth is, most Christians are not true Christians or so out Christians, but merely casual Christians. When it fits, I'll be one. And when it doesn't, i am not be one. All of us are not totally sold out at a level where Christ was. <clears throat> but we are on an active journey towards that. We should be nonetheless faithfully so loud to the revelations and things the Lord has taught us. And I'm bringing all this because the Lord has done a work in me the last month to where there is a reset button that was pressed. And my I find my heart being as sensitive as it was when I was first born again. And I can't watch any more movies <clears throat> that I might have done a year ago. And we would do well to be, keep this fine, finesse conscience in our hearts to where <clears throat> we question if we were totally sold out. And I'm bringing practical examples because there are no secrets to us men or us ladies. The besetting things, they're all the same to us. The things that bring us down, the things that discourage us. Let's not try to make lofty statements or lofty words. It's all the same. I am, I'm pretty sure over 12 things I could say what the besetting sins are for all of you. Because they have not changed throughout the ages. We're all the same. We have the same DNA. So let's, let's call things as they are. <clears throat> am I who I say I am? Do my habits conform, confirm or deny that? Am I disgusted with the things that would disgust Christ? And that's a big one. Would we invite Christ into our very little, intricate, dark things that we like to do or watch or say or the way we communicate with our family? Am I disgusted with it? Would it, would it disgust Christ as well? And disgust is a bad word. I don't like to say that Christ was disgusted at something. And yes, I'm sure some things are stench to his nostrils. And he's very disappointed at us. Do I allow in my members my eyes to behold anything that would defile the holy temple which the Holy Spirit abides? I have discovered that only a desperate, so loud prayer will be heard. And I believe this to be true that only desperate, so loud hearts will be heard before God. We cannot come casually before God, but totally serious, concentrated, and prostrate before God in need of serious help. Only then will Christ hear and answer our prayers. Does that mean that we, are, we have to be perfect or perfectly holy before Christ will hear us? No. God has heard unbelievers. They have only heard a speck of information from Him, but they cry out to God with total seriousness being totally so loud at the time to God and they abandon everything everything that they have ever heard or from other people they abandon everything in their minds and there's something deep 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 from the innermost part of their being comes through heaven like a spike and the Lord hears it the Lord hears everything but he answers these those men that are serious Let's go to Luke fourteen, verse twenty five. Luke fourteen twenty five. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciples. And it is classic Jesus, totally, totally soul out language. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, ye his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now we'll let you meditate on what this truly means in your heart. What does this mean? Verse twenty-seven: And whoso doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sit it not down first and count at the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest, happily, after he laid the foundation, he is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, "This man began to build." And was not able to finish. This man. He became born again. He got baptized. And look at him now. Is this Christ? Ha ha ha. And everybody laughs at him. And laughs at Christ. And laughs at his testimony. I'm telling you brethren. That we need to take our Christianity serious. we carry the name of Christ. Let's not casually become Christians, let's not casually become baptized, but let's go all in. Let's go all in. Let's make decisions in our lives that, yes, maybe the rest of Christianity might be able to do and do these things or watch these things, but we cannot because we know what it does to our hearts. We know where it takes our hearts. Verse 30, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king set it down not first and consulted whether he be able to, with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000 or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an amb- embassage amb- and desired conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaken not all that he had, he cannot be my disciple. Forget about Heterianism. Yes, we have given a little bit away. We have have given a little bit um, of our money to our fellow neighbor. But this is a heart issue. This is given away from the heart. And I don't want to belittle what we're doing to each other. All of us, some of us could be very rich men. We could be successful with the talents that we have. I don't want to belittle that. But truly, this is a heart issue. And with these little things, we're not faithful. We will not be with the big things. Whosoever be of you that and not all that he had, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 28 could be far- paraphrased as this. Which of you intending to be a Christian does not first sit down Count the cost, whether he wants to be a real Christian or not. Lest happily, after he has laid the foundation of repentance and baptism, he falls into lukewarmness and a rut, and he doesn't finish the race, but sits on the side and falls back into his old ways. This, brethren, is what I'm talking about this morning. A man falling into a rut and giving up may have started with a lot of ambition and zeal, but what good is it if we don't finish strong? As soon as we start half-heartedly looking at our relationship with Christ, we will have half-hearted results. As soon as we start half-heartedly looking at our relationship with Christ, we will have half-hearted results. It is not about pleasing our fellow man. This is about pleasing God. This week, Oswald Chambers had a very powerful a message, uh, I, was on, I think on Friday's divert- devotion, and it goes like this. Seek if you have not found. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. If you ask for things from life instead of from God, we ask amiss. That is, we ask out of your desire for self-fulfillment. The more you fulfill yourself, the less you will seek God. Seek and you will find. Get to work. Narrow your focus and interest to to this one thing. Have you ever sought God with your whole heart or have you simply given him a feeble cry after some emotionally painful experience? This is is what really spoke to me. Have you ever sought God with your whole heart or have you simply given him a feeble cry after some emotional painful experience? But then went back to your old life. Seek, focus, and you will find. And this means consistency. Every day, seek God. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Isaiah 55, 1. Are you thirsty or complacent or indifferent? So satisfied with your own experiences that you want nothing more of God. Experience is a doorway, not a final goal. Beware of building your faith on experience, or your life will not ring true, and you will only sound a note of critical spirit. Remember that you have that you can never give another person what you have found, but you can cause him to have a desire for it uh, Oswald chamber continues knock and it will be open to you Luke eleven nine draw near to God James four eight knock and the door is closed, and your heartbeat raises as you knock. cleanse your hands, knock a bit louder. You begin to find that you are dirty. Purify your hearts. It is becoming even more personal. You are desperate and serious now. You will do anything. Lament. In James 4, 9. Have you ever lamented expressing your sorrow before God for the condition of your inner life? There is no threat or self-pity left. Only the heartrending rending difficulty and amazement which comes from seeing what kind of person you really are. Humble yourself. It is a humbling experience to knock at God's door and you have to knock with a crucified with the crucified thief to him who knocks it will be opened. Amen. I want to read a story here about a young man that was so loud for God. Something happened in his life that was beyond his control, but that thing that happened was a calling to God that he did not fathom or have an idea that it would someday lead something greater. And you're probably very familiar with this man. His name is Saint Patrick. The Lord arranged circumstances in this young man's life that would one day compel him to do a great work of service for the kingdom of God. And this will serve as an encouragement to you that no matter where you find yourself now in any kind of discouragement that someday the Lord is going to use that as a platform to jump even greater for Christ. At the turn of the fifth century, the Roman Empire was the verge of collapse. With its power crumbling, the coast of Britain was subject to attacks by violent Irish slave traders. In 401, a 16-year-old boy named Patrick was taken in one of these reeds. Stripped from the comforts of his home and the future, which would have included a classical education and career, Patrick was made a slave of an Irish chieftain and assigned the role of a shepherd. The life of a shepherd slave was miserable, isolated for months on end in the mountains that were bitterly cold in a land where he did not know the local languages and experienced times of severe hunger. Such severe circumstances drove the young man to God. His grandfather had been a Christian priest, and Patrick turned to his family's fate. He spent bitter days in constant prayer. As it did, a deep love of God and a profound sense of the God's spirit at work within him grew in the young man. Six years after his kidnapping, Patrick had a dream vision. In his sleep, he heard a voice say, your hungers are rewarded, you are going home. He sat up, startled, and the voice continued, look, your ship is ready. Kind of looks, it sounds like Samuel Morris, that story. Look, your ship is ready. Patrick got up and started walking. 200 miles later, he came to the coast and saw a ship. No ship was about to give passage to a fugitive slave, and the captain told the young man to move on. But Patrick knew this was his ship. He spent some time in prayer, and before he had finished one, one of the soldiers, sailors came after him with a message that he could sail with them. It takes him two years, but finally the young man arrives home in Britain. His, overjo- his overjoyed parents beg him to not ever leave again. But one day, but one night, Victorious, a man who he knew in Ireland, appears to him in a vision. Victorious holds a letter with the heading, The Voice of the Irish. The young man then hears a voice of a multitude crying, We beg you to come and walk amongst us once more. Try as he might, Patrick cannot push the Irish out of his mind. The visions keep coming until finally he gives in. He enrolls to be trained for ministry and emerges sometime later an ordained priest and bishop and so a young bishop by the name of Patrick heads off to become the first known missionary in Ireland. His mission is astonishingly successful. The Irish rapidly embraced a Christian faith. By the time of his death, Christianity has been established across Ireland. The Irish slave trade has ended and murder and intertribal warfare have markedly decreased. One of Patrick's greatest achievements was the salvation of Western civilization. After the barbarians overran Roman Empire, Nearly all the great literary works were destroyed. Hundreds of years of learning literally went up in flames. But there was a place the Latin books were copied and preserved in the monasteries established by Patrick throughout Ireland. When Europe emerged from its dark ages, it was to, to these monasteries of Ireland that they turned to recover all their learning. No matter the circumstances we find ourselves in, be it today, or last week, last month, or this last year, or years, plural. The man that is seemingly in the worst circumstances today will have the potential to do the most service in the future. All we need is to turn our hearts in dedication to Christ. There is purpose in our suffering, only not that suffering, let not that suffering be self-afflicted. In first peter four twelve, a beloved thinking not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. it sounds like it's almost a necessity. it's inevitable that it will happen, because like a beloved father will chastise his son if it needs to be if he needs to be thinking not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceedingly joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God rested upon you. And on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. If we are sold out to Christ, we can expect afflictions, proning, chastisement. It's all the same. Purpose to refine us with fire. To purify us, burn off, burn off our selfishness and personal ambitions, aspirations, dreams, and lofty ideas. If they're of us, then thank God they are burned away. Um, I was also thinking of the word bondslave when I think of being sold out as a Christian. In Romans one, Paul calls himself a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Romans one one, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. And in First Corinthians seven twenty, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not of it for it for But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. These verses are saying that we are the servants of the Most High God and whichever state we find ourselves in, to be faithful in with all of our hearts. It's a powerful uh, testimony here. Um, there's another story. It's about the Olympic games in Mexico in 1968. Uh, There was a marathon that was the final event of the program. The Olympic stadium was packed and there was excitement as the first athlete and Ethiopian runner enters the stadium. The crowd erupts as he crosses the finish line first. Way back in the field was another runner, however. His name was John Stephan Akwari, and he was from Tanzania. He had been eclipsed by all these other runners. After 30 kilometers, his head is throbbing, his muscles are aching, and he falls to the ground. He has a serious leg injury, and officials want him to get off, but he refuses. With his knee bandaged, Akwari picks himself up and hobbles the remaining 12 kilometers to the finish line. An hour later, an hour after the winner was finished, Aquari enters the stadium. All but a few thousands of the crowd have gone home. Aquari moves around the track at a painstakingly slow pace until he finally collapses over the finish line. It is one of the most heroic efforts of Olympic history. Afterward, asked by a reporter why he had not dropped out, Aquari says, my country did not send me to start the race. They sent me to finish. Amen. Christ did not send us only to run the race, but to finish it. Meaning, don't run it with half-hearted ambition. Finish strong. Here's another story on what half-heartedness and casual Christianity accomplishes in the kingdom. And I see ourselves. It's kind of humorous, but it's also sad if you think of it in its rightful place. Once upon a time, there was a fire in a small town. The fire brigade rushed to the scene, but the firemen were unable to get through the burning building. The problem was the crowd of people who had gathered, not to watch, but to help put out the fire. They all knew the fire chief well. Their children had climbed over his fire engines during excursions to the fire station. And the friendliness of this fire chief was legendary. Everybody loved him. So when the fire broke out, the people rushed out to help their beloved fire chief. Unfortunately, the town folk were seeking to extinguish this raging inferno with water pistols. They'd all stand there from time to time squirting their pistol into the fire while making casual conversation about the fire. The fire chief couldn't contain himself any longer. He started screaming at the town folk, What do you think you're doing? What on earth do you think you're going to achieve with these water pistols? The people realized the urgency of the situation, how they wanted to help the fire chief. So they started squirting more. Come on, they encouraged each other. We can do better, can't we? Squirt faster. So squirt, squirt, squirt. They squirted with all their might, but they still were very ineffective. Exasperated, the fire chief yells again, get out of here. You're achieving nothing except hindering us from doing what needs to be done. We need firemen who are ready to give everything they've got to put out this fire. People willing to even lay their lives on the line. It is not the place for half-hearted contributions. Let him who has ears hear and understand how this analogy fits into the church of Altona this morning. Is it any wonder what a Lord hates half-heartedness? He says he will spit the lukewarm out of his mouth. Let's go to this this passage here in Revelation 3.14. Revelation 3.14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spoo thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be jealous, therefore, and repent. Dear brethren, in closing, I want to say, we are either sold out for Christ, or we are not Christians. These are strong words. I'm putting myself under that as well. We are either so loud for Christ or that we are not Christians. There's no other alternative. And in your hearts this morning, what does it mean to you being so loud? Yes, we will fail. We will continue to fail. Let's not use these words to justify ourselves. But we will have a steady progression onto godliness. We might have to get up in the morning, get out of our lazy bones. And seek after God, and cry out to God, "Lord, I don't know how to be sold out. I don't have a desire, but you pursue that. You pursue after Christ, and he gives us an ambition and a heart to seek after him more. And maybe you need prayer in your life. Maybe you need to confess some things to another brother. Like, like Randy mentioned, the confession. Brought him power. And I can relate to that. Becoming a Christian is like getting up in the morning and realizing that my life is over as I knew it before. The before that represents my past life when I walked after the course and lusts of this world, pray earnestly before God. That reality might be real in our lives. That that reality might be real. We were bought with a price to serve the king. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our father in heaven. Forgive us of our half-heartedness. And lukewarmness. Teach me what it practically means to be sold out. Teach us what it practically means to be totally sold out for you and the people around us. Teach us to walk daily in a way that befits a Christian man how to walk in servanthood, in debt to self. Father, teach us to be faithful in the little things that are are our training grounds right now. That we might be faithful in the bigger ones. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.